Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we've got some very special bonus content for you. What you're going to hear is one of our webinars. This is going to be about 60 to 90 minutes long, including questions, but it's in-depth analysis into something very important in property investment. And we wanted to make these things available just in case you've got a big long car ride coming up or you want to put the kids to bed and you need to fall asleep yourself. You can listen to some of this stuff and if you want to watch it available on our website as well, it's all freely available and really good content. This audio is straight from the webinar, so you are going to hear the jokes, the people's names and all of the introductions. Feel free to fast forward through those. You don't feel like listening through to them. And hey, if you're only interested in the 10 minute style episodes, feel free to skip these as well. Hello everyone, welcome along to another month, another webinar, our final one for the year. I just want to say thank you all for coming. I can see that we've already got a couple of hundred people here. For anybody who doesn't know me, I am Ed McKnight. I'm an economist here at Opus Partners and this is my colleague sitting over here, Andrew Nickel, who is the Managing Director here. And this month we are going to be talking about our predictions and our forecasts for the new year so you can be a successful property investor in 2021. Now, I just want to double check. If you can hear us, please do pop a wee comment in the chat bar. We want to hear from you and we want to make sure that you can hear us all nice and clearly. Uh, I can see a whole heap of our usual favourites. Joe, great to see you. Same with Winnie and uh, Manuel as well. Now, what I'm going to do is... Dairy. Oh, it's Dairy here. Fantastic. Andrew... Tell everybody where we are just while I get set up because this is something new and exciting. So we're we're now recording out of our live uh, live out of our recording studio, which is in our Christchurch office, our head office, and uh, in the in the dungeons. Uh, we uh, have started recording our podcast here, which is very exciting. Uh, we've got, as you can see, we've got the setup here, and there's some great cool things coming next year where we're going to. Start a uh, TV show, and there's. Uh, I'm not going to give you any spoilers because I gave enough spoilers on the podcast recording this week. So, um, yeah, wait and see. Fantastic. And it's great to see Phil. You're eating your dinner and drinking your beer here. And one thing in the new studio that I would just want to show you because this is so cool that's Andrew there. But you can see we've got some big sets uh, with the Property Academy, our podcast. It's, like uh, it's, it's really cool. And we're really exciting about, excited about this. Now, let's kick into this as people come through. But remember, as we go through this webinar, you can chat with each other throughout the whole time in the chat. If you've got any questions, pop it in the questions. And throughout this, the uh, webinar, we'll also do some polls as well. Now, I'm going to share my screen. You can see that there, Andrew? Yep, I can. Fantastic. Let's jump into this. And Andrew, you're, you're introducing this for us today, aren't you? Yeah, so so tonight is um, the was – it, was it Ken – Something, Ken, something, the moon man that did all those predictions. Ken, you don't remember. I don't yet. know, You're Andrew. Uh, so, so this is the Ken moon or whatever it is. Predictions and forecasts for how to be a successful property investor in 2021. Oh, there we go. Sorry, a bit of a delay there. So why should I listen to these two rat bags in their uh, basement of um, of uh, Opus Partners headquarters? Um, firstly, I'm an AFA, um, which means that I spend a, uh, spend a lot of time uh, working with clients to kind of fulfill their financial goals and stuff like that. Um, I'm the host of the Property Academy podcast, which is the top business podcast in New Zealand and has been for uh, basically... 12 of the 14 months that we've been live, um, which is pretty exciting. Um, I'm an avid property investor myself, so I practice what I preach and the president of the Data Nerd Association. And Ed, 
uh, is my co-host of the Property Academy podcast. He's our in-house economist. Uh, he too is a property investor, which is awesome. And he's the vice president of the Dardenet Associates. And to be honest, he is, he should be the president. <laughs> uh, now, on our website, opspartners.co.nz uh, forward slash backslash, I can never remember which way around it is, slash previous hyphen webinars. You can see all of our previous webinars. So we do have our property investment calendar for 2021. It is retailing currently for $9.90 while stocks last. <laughs> That's a joke, by the way. We haven't printed any calendars. But what we are doing tonight is going through each of the months of the year and giving our predictions for each of these. Now, Andrew's going to start us off with Uncle Lester. Uncle Lester. <laughs> Fantastic picture. Now, it's it's really interesting, and I think it's timely that we talk about this. It's interesting how over the holiday break, all of those people who are hidden gems in the property investment world seem to come out and come to your barbecue and share their views. And I think um, it's really timely to talk about this because you are, especially if you're thinking about investing and because in New Zealand we suffer from the tall poppy syndrome where we end up uh, criticising people that are brave enough to do what we're not prepared to do. Um, uh, and it's it's a really sad uh, uh, human trait probably, uh, but also I notice a lot in New Zealand. You're going to get some people who tell you that property is a bad thing to do. And look, that's usually based on their own experience or inexperience in property investment. And I think my message here is it's just really uh, important to always take advice from someone who's where you want to be. So if Uncle Lester has never owned a house and he sleeps um, on a boat somewhere and, uh, and, and you know, just is about to criticize everyone else for doing something that he's not prepared to do, then that's not the advice you want to take. And don't surround yourself with those kind of people. Um, you know, Joy and Manuel, who are great, great uh, fans of the show and friends of the friends of the firm, uh, uh, are uh, coming to Christchurch to spend some time with Ed and I um, over the break. And um, I'm sure that 50% of that time will be spoken about, like, you know, property deals and encouraging each other to do, to, uh, do better uh, ourselves. And, and that's the kind of th conversations you want to have over this break. And, Again, I'm not saying that Uncle Lester is wrong in his opinion. I'm just saying that it's probably wrong for you. So uh, you've got a 100% likelihood of, of this kind of thing happening. Just be aware of it and uh, shut it down before it uh, starts. Get into the eggnog. And what else are we going to see in January as well? And so um, Uncle Lester's friend is the newspaper. So you're going to see the New Zealand Herald promote things like government could change tax rules on property investors, expert says. And you're going to have a lot of this uh, media because there's nothing else happening over this period of time. So what we're going to talk about next is coming into February. So I want to talk about what's good, what we're expecting to see in February. Now, if you're a real nerd like us and you're about to hear a podcast on this, um, which we've just done uh, and, and recorded yesterday, but coming out later this week, is Interest in new builds, in our view, is probably going to go into overdrive. And BNZ just came out at the start of this week, end of last week, and they were talking about how they are now exempting new builds from the LVR restrictions. So when the Reserve Bank came out and said, what we're going to do is, is bring back in the LVRs, all of the banks went back to 30% deposits. 
generally speaking. BNZ and ANZ have now come out and said, actually, we're going to let you to go up to 90% on new builds. So you can potentially, if you meet the bank's criteria, and we'll talk about this again on the podcast, um, if you meet the bank's criteria, you can go up to a 10% deposit or borrow, I should say, with as little as a 10% deposit, which is pretty good. So if you're buying off the plans, a turnkey up to 90%, which is fantastic. Of course, there's some criteria that you need to meet as well, uh, which Andrew's going to talk about just right now. Uh, so, so basically BNZ are wanting to see a perfect client here. And actually I was talking to the head of the broker department uh, just this morning uh, and, and he said, I don't know why we've said we're going to do this. We don't have capacity to do the existing deals, which are just, you know, 80%, 70%, 50% and under anyway. Um, they are absolutely swamped. They're still looking at deals from November. So they um, it's one thing to have policy that allows you to do something. It's another thing to do it. And we actually cover this off quite a lot in a podcast that we recorded this week, comes out this week. Um, and actually just uh, yesterday, uh, last night, ANZ announced that they too are going to introduce the same exemptions as before, uh, that's dollar for dollar refinances and new build uh, exemptions. And there are some criteria around that. It's got to be direct from the developer. It's got to be within 12 months of code of compliance. But this is going to lead, the fact that there is going to be a difference again between new and existing is going to increase the demand or the interest in new builds. Now, this is important for some of our other predictions, which we're going to get into. But what I want to do is just show you the difference that it can make. So if you've got a 100K deposit, 100K of usable equity within your property, then that means that you're either doing a 330K uh, property if you're borrowing at 70%, or if you're doing a new build, that's up to a million dollars. That just shows you the difference that a small change in lending policy can make in terms of what you're actually buying. And what that means is instead of buying one house in Invercargill, perhaps you're buying two brand new townhouses in Christchurch. And that additional leverage is going to be very, very attractive for property investors if they can get it. And we're going to come back to this in some of our future predictions as well. But what I want to do now is talk about what are we expecting in March? And this is where things get really interesting. We're going to spend quite a bit of time here in March today because this is when Adrian Orr is going to come back and we're expecting to have the loan to value ratio restrictions being reintroduced. So consultation documents for that actually came out today or yesterday. I've been reading them today and we are expecting them to come back in by March. And I'm expecting some other changes that are going to be introduced uh, by, by Adrian or simply because anybody who's been listening to the podcast knows that the Minister of Finance and the Reserve Bank Governor have been sending letters to each other talking about what the Reserve Bank can and can't reasonably do to limit house price increases in the future. So I'm expecting three things to come out. First of all, LVRs going back on on existing bills, uh, builds, that's going to be 100% likelihood, I'm thinking. That's definitely coming back in, no doubt about it. The second thing, which I think is very unlikely, but I know a lot of you are talking about uh, uh, debt-to-income ratios and are thinking about this. And I just want to go through the reasons why I think that this is very, very unlikely. And I know this is uh, something that's really concerning for a lot of people. Now, Ireland and the UK already have debt-to-income ratios. And you can see there that in the UK, you've got a 4.5 times limit. So what that means is that if your income or your household income is 100K, and your debt-to-income ratio is 4.5, that's the maximum. The maximum you can borrow is 450K. In Ireland, it's even tougher. It's 3.5 times. But these are only in place 
for owner occupiers in Ireland and the UK. So they're very, very limited. And of course, if these were to be introduced at this rate, that would certainly slow down the amount that we could potentially lend and borrow for housing, which would actually have some issues in terms of renting. But what I want to talk about as well is one reason I don't think these are going to come back in is because British house prices haven't actually been that limited from debt-to-income ratios. Let's look at it. So in 2014, the UK introduced the debt-to-income ratios in Ireland in early 2015. But since then, UK house prices are up 4.35% per year, and Irish house prices are up a whopping 7.67% per year. Enormous growth. And what we're seeing here is debt-to-income ratios has have not significantly limited house price inflation growth. And so it's potentially not the most effective tool, especially if they're being leveraged on owner-occupiers, to limit that. And I just want to, I was listening to a really interesting Sorry, podcast we're, yesterday. We've just lost sound again there. Can we just refresh that? Sorry, we're just, oh. uh, No, people are saying sounds okay. okay. I've seen that. Remember. So, okay, okay. It, we, may be, it may be an isolated event. It might be to do uh, with your internet, in which case, uh, apologise profusely, but we can't change that. But you will get a copy tomorrow and hopefully it will come right. Try refreshing if anyone has any problems. Fantastic. Now, these are two interesting things here. I've got two quotes, which has come from the NZ Property Market Podcast. These guys are fantastic. Nick Goodall, Calvin Davidson. They're from CoreLogic, a data firm. And they had some really interesting things while I was running on the treadmill last night to say about debt-to-income ratios, which I thought I'd play for you. Uh, so the first thing that Calvin said is this. Because this is all about the vulnerability of a borrower's lending if they lost their income. Uh, and that's already being tested as part of serviceability. So it's not just that you can pay it 2.5%, but you can also pay it 65 so what Calvin's talking about there is there is already some pretty strict servicing criteria about testing your income from the bank's perspective. And on top of that, I had a really interesting comment from Nick Goodall, which I want to play you and then get your thoughts on, Andrew, because this is particularly interesting in terms of how tough the banks are right now. I'm still wary about the need for it. I think the banks have got, you know, they've got pretty good responsible lending policies now. And so the way that they assume a certain level of expenses or check your expenses in your that you undertake, you know, the way that they check your income and the forms of your income and then using those serviceability tests, I feel like there's a pretty robust process that's already in place. So Andrew, what I want to do, just for people who are new, who perhaps haven't encountered us before, why don't you just explain how those bank policies have changed to make it far more robust, suggesting that we may not need debt to income ratios for financial stability, which is what the Reserve Bank is concerned about. Sure. So previously, uh, banks would have pretty... Uh, uh, Straightforward criteria where basically if, if you could afford uh, your loan based on the current rate, then they'd give you the money. Nowadays, they look at much more than that. So they'll look at all of your lending, investment or personal, based on principal and interest repayments, even though it's very unlikely if you've got a personal mortgage, you'd pay principal on an uh, on an investment loan. Uh, it just doesn't make sense from an uh, from a tax perspective. So so that's one thing. So they'll treat everything. And, and you know, if you've got 10 rental properties in your own house, uh, you know, most of your debts should be interest only. And so, so it makes a huge difference if that's on principal and interest, that's that's number one. Then they'll actually scrutinise what your expenses are. So in the good old days, they'd say, okay, well, um, double income, one kid costs 
two and a half grand a month to run. Nowadays, what they do is they look at what you're actually spending. And even if you're saving to buy your first house and you may be enjoying a few too many nights out at the pub and you're going to you're gonna rein that in when you buy your house, they will treat it as if you own that house now. And if you can't afford it, they're not going to give it to you. Then they use things like test rates. So um, realistically, it's about three times what you'll pay at the moment. So so whatever the interest rate is, is about three times. So, so huge, huge difference. And then if you've got rent income coming in, they discount that by 25%. So there's lots of mechanisms that banks already use that basically stop someone over committing themselves. And a conversation that I had with a uh, future investor today, uh, she said she's looking at upgrading her house and her mortgage is going to go, this is her personal house, from 361000 to 880 And she said, can I afford it? Now, the bank will give her the money, and I guarantee you, if the bank will give you the money, you can afford it, unless you do something crazy like take up a gambling addiction. So so it is absolutely... Uh, um, it, despite there not being debt to income ratios at the moment, you might as well have them because the, 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 the policy that the bank implements is pretty much that. And Alan has asked a really good question. He said, sure, surely all your rentals would have to fail at the same time before serviceability becomes a problem. And in actual life, in real life, yes, that's absolutely true. In the bank's eyes, that's not the case. But let's move on from this because we've got one other prediction about what the Reserve Bank potentially may do to encourage new lending. And this is where it starts to get a bit speculative, a bit interesting. But what I've suggested here is that they may start underwriting low equity margins on new builds. I'm going to explain what this is. And it may not actually be this exact policy, but I'm looking for something from the Reserve Bank to encourage a greater supply of housing. And let me tell you why. It's because here is the actual letter that was sent by Adrian or the Reserve Bank Governor to the Minister of Finance replying with the Minister of Finance, Grant Robertson, asked, Adrian, can you help me out with limiting house price increases? And I've got a very interesting highlighted bit. I don't expect you to read it, so I've made it bigger. As I've said publicly on many occasions, monetary and fiscal regulatory policy alone cannot address this challenge, rising house prices. There are many long-term structural issues at play. Now, what we're talking about here is supply. So I'm looking for something from the bank, the Reserve Bank, to try and increase that. And I think it will be something like trying to to encourage lower deposits on new builds. Because if you have lower deposits on new builds relative to other stocks, you've got increased demand for new builds. That's going to mean that more houses are built and that price growth would be slower than it otherwise would be. I'm not suggesting that it's going to stop completely, but it would slow it down. So I'm thinking we're probably going to see something like that. Now, what are they already doing? New builds are going to be exempt from loan to value ratios. That's going to be a great thing. But I also want to talk about What happens if we go into like that BNZ thing, which we talked about in February, where they potentially could allow you, if they meet your, if you meet their criteria, could borrow or purchase a property with a lower deposit. Now, what happens is if you've got a 20% deposit or more, or you've got a uh, enough equity within that property, you could attract the current special interest rate, which is about 2.49%. That's what you see on the billboards. But if you've got less than that, if you've got a 10% deposit, a 15% deposit, you're not you're not going to pay that standard rate, that special rate. You've got to pay a higher interest rate. And on top of that, you're also going to pay a low equity margin. So that is a margin that the bank is going to charge you 
because you have a low deposit. Now, what the government already does for first home buyers is they will pay for mortgage and lenders insurance. So if you're a low deposit first home buyer, the government will pay some of those costs so that you're able to get into the housing market and not have to pay that very that 1% higher interest rate, for instance. But if the Reserve Bank was to underwrite that low equity margin, if they were going to allow people to purchase with lower and lower deposits, then that would increase supply and would start to see house prices not increase at the same rate that they currently do. I'm looking for something like this. And that would be that you could have a positively geared new build with a 10% deposit in that instance. I'm expecting to see something interesting like this so that prices growth price growth is slower than it otherwise would be. It's still going to be positive, but potentially not that 12% like we've seen this year or the 13.5% that we've seen this year. It might be around that 5 or 6% rate. Now, Andrew, something to be really successful as a property investor in 2021, because that's what you're all here to learn, is split banking if you're going to have access to this. Walk us through why this is really important. So, uh, actually, one of the first webinars we ever did, uh, which was during lockdown, was actually around kind of structuring yourself when you come out of lockdown and there's opportunities on the table. And a big part of that was using split banking. So, anyone that's unfamiliar with split banking, the basic concept is to not have all your eggs in one basket. So, if you've got your owner occupied at one bank, you might have some investments at another. But because um, the rules changed and when these LVR restrictions came back in October 2013, if you had everything with one bank and you had 80% reliance on, uh, uh, thank you for that, uh, everyone, I'm just putting that um, podcast link up there, by the way, thank you, that's great there, Pip. Um, so, so if you had all your properties with uh, one bank and the rules went from 80% reliance to 70% reliance, that extra 10% reliance all of a sudden got taken against your house. Now, you're kind of stuck then because all of a sudden you're in a position where your bank values uh, may have may have been less than what your actual lending was. So you weren't able to actually borrow any more money to further develop your uh, portfolio. So one of the big things that you can do under the exemptions of the LVR restrictions is dollar for dollar refinance. So the, the Reserve Bank's uh, goal is not to stop competition, it's just to kind of put a bit of a speed bump in the market. And so what you can do, if you've got your own house and it's worth 600000 the bank value, and for any new listeners, that's the, the amount that a bank will lend you on that property at a maximum, so 80% is 480 and if your mortgage is 280 then your usable equity is 200000 But then if you chuck an investment property in there, so you've got 500k rental property because you've owned it a few years and you bought it for 400 and the mortgage is still 400 then your our actual uh, sorry sorry your bank value is 400 Ed, can you just flip to the next tab for me? Your mortgage is 500 because you've just done that. Then there's negative 100,000 there. So it's come off your property so you no longer have 200,000 usable equity you've only got 100 because of these restrictions that are in replace. So it looks like you're you're good to buy two, but you're not. Uh, and actually, if we actually borrow, sorry, sorry, if we change the rules and now all of a sudden you can only borrow 70%, then all of a sudden you've eroded that usable equity by 150. And 50K as a deposit 
doesn't mean a lot. And actually, Joy's just chimed in here. Uh, uh, she's a great example of um, what we've managed to do with with split banking. Uh, her and Manuel have been working with me for a while and uh, have achieved some awesome things uh, using split banking just in the nick of time. If, on the other hand, what you did is you had your own home at the first bank and you had an investment mortgage of 100000 as your deposit, and then you borrow 400000 from a second bank, you're borrowing the 80%, you're adhering to the rules of the uh, new build exemption right now, that means that you haven't exhausted all of your bank value at bank number one. So your 480, you subtract the mortgage of 280 that you've got on your own house, the 100 that you use as your deposit, that still leaves you with 100,000 usable equity to go out and buy another rental property. So this is the big challenge for people if they've got everything with one bank. If you aren't structured in the most appropriate way, and look, if you've got millions and millions of dollars of equity, it might not matter quite as much, but I still think it's a sensible course of action for any property investor, particularly as we get into um, helping clients into retirement, when they're wanting to free up equity from selling rental properties, you don't want the bank to have control of everything. Fantastic. Let's get into April. This one's a bit of a shorter one. So in April, we're thinking that after a tough summer, tourism is going to really struggle. And I'll tell you why. It's interesting. The lockdowns actually did tourism a little bit of good. You're going to be very surprised that I say that. But what usually happens in our winter over here, we have a lot of Kiwis going overseas. We don't have a lot of overseas people coming over here. So the, the lockdowns, the shutting of the borders meant that there were more people in the country than there otherwise would be. Now, that meant that we all travel domestically. In the summer, it reverses. So usually in the summer, we all go over, uh, we have a lot of people come here. We don't spend as much time overseas. So there are a lot of people here. But of course, those people aren't coming anymore for this year. So that's going to mean that the real hit to tourism is going to happen this summer. And you're going to hear about it in April that, uh, and in the lead up to Easter that some tourism businesses uh, are probably likely to close. And that's going to be talked about a lot. Now, this is something to be expected. But of course, and we're going to talk about it later, at some point, there should be a managed reopening and a broadening of our bubble with Australia, which we'll talk about. But expect these to be happening in April. Andrew, What's happening in May around interest rates? So uh, May, we are probably likely to see a record low interest rate. So what we're going to have is we're going to have the official cash rate come out at probably we expect zero percent. I don't. I'm not as I'm not as certain about negative interest rates as I was, um, and that's purely probably from political pressures because now um, <laughs> Labor have inherited quite a uh, uh, a housing crisis. Um, uh, Kiwi Build has not been the success that they promised it would be. And as a result, uh, we do, we still have a huge amount of debt in New Zealand now, um, particularly fueled by COVID. And so we've got a situation where we can't have interest rates go up anytime soon, but also they want to kind of keep a lid on it as much as possible. So I expect that we're going to see a 0% OCR. We're going to see uh, uh, interest rates sub 2% across the board. Um, and, and you've had large scale asset purchasing program and, and funding for lending program. And these things are going to keep those interest rates low for a long, long 
time. Now, Andrew, you've ju- your video has just gone, so I'm going to ask you to refresh, but I'm going to continue with this just while you're coming back online. So we have had that last... Aaron, I sk- thought that I'm mostly uh, mostly good looks and charm. I, I can't believe you said my video is not important. <laughs> <laughs> the large-scale asset purchasing program did happen this year. The funding for lending has just been announced as well, and we are expecting the OCR, something to happen there, which will lead to lower interest rates as well. Now, that's going to be a boon for, for property investors because they that's going to decrease our largest cost, which of course is our mortgage. You know, so in May, the 18th of May, we're saying perhaps we'll see ANZ slashing that one-year interest rate to 1.99%. How low can they go? And I think one of the interesting things as well is Heartland's already at 1.99. Of course, the big players haven't followed them, and there are some conditions around that. Uh, but we are seeing how low they actually can go as well. Now, one thing, just coming into uh, the media and some of the things that you might see around there as well. Andrew, you and I both saw this, didn't we, today uh, separately and started talking about it. Yeah, really interesting one. House prices could fall 1% to 2% return of lending oh sorry due to the return of lending of restrictions now that reads to any normal person that we're going to see a house price reduction that is not actually what the article said what it said was that there might be one to two percent drop on the growth of say five percent now it might be four percent and that could be in a month so uh, just be careful of headlines because they are there they are clickbait and um, both Ed and I saw this and thought come on and clicked on it and actually read the article which um, Uncle Lester won't do uh, and and um, you, you will hear people talking about this kind of thing and it is just clickbait. Let's get into the detail of this as well. So the Reserve Bank and again I'm pretty sure that I've blown this up for you. No I haven't. Um, we consider a reasonable estimate on the impact of house prices of reinstating those LVR restrictions will be one to two percentage points relative to a counterfactual where the LVR restrictions remained off. So let's go through this. So in the, the article, the headline, they didn't say what the house prices would be without LVRs. But what they've said is in terms of that headline, with the LVRs, house prices will fall by one to two percent. Now, what they actually said Again, the Reserve Bank didn't give a prediction of what house prices would be without the LVR change. But what I did was went to Westpac to see what their latest prediction would be. This came out just the 4th of December, that's last week, uh, written by Dominic Stevens, and I'll blow that up for you. We think the current episode of house price inflation has a way to run yet. We're forecasting a full year increase over 2021 of 12.2%. Now, remember, we had 13.5% increases in house prices this year, an enormous amount, 12.2% is not unheard of, even though we sit here thinking, how can they go that much higher? So if we use what the reserve, uh, what Westpac's prediction was, which was about 12%, if we knock off the one to two percentage points, which the Reserve Bank said that would expect with LVRs, then perhaps we'll only get and I say only, yeah. 10 to 11% worth of house price growth. Now, that is a big change compared to the 1% to 2% fall, which the article was talking about. <laughs> now, it's just quite crazy in a lot of ways. And so if you're going to be a successful property investor, what I want you to do is listen to specialist media. Now, this doesn't have to be us. You don't have to listen to our podcast. You might listen to Nick's podcast, the NZ Property Market podcast. You might listen to lots of different things or read lots of different things. But what I would recommend 
reminding yourself of is that the mainstream media are journalists. There's nothing wrong with journalists, but they're not financial advisors. And so I would just recommend that you're not necessarily uh, basing your financial decisions based on what a journalist is saying, you know, listen to some specialist media. It doesn't have to be us, but make sure that it's somebody. Now, Andrew, walk us through what those lower interest rates would actually mean for property investors. Right. So let's assume that we've got a property which is generating $500 a week, which is $24,500 a year, roughly, uh, and operating costs of $9,000, just rough numbers that we use all day, every day. So if you're paying an interest rate of 2.5%, your interest costs are $12,500 a year. If that rate drops to 2% and it will, then those interest costs, which are your biggest costs, go down by $2,500 to $10,000. So in terms of your cash flow, it's a difference between a $58 a week profit and a $106 a week profit. Now, for a lot of my investors that I work with that have got a mortgage themselves, if they've got two rental properties bringing in $100 a week each after costs, that's an extra $10,000 a year that they can pay off their own personal mortgage, which is awesome considering that most of the investors that I work with would use their usable equity, not their cash to invest. And so the, the lesson there, which is lesson number three, is don't fix your rate for too long because you're going to want to be able to take advantage of these lower rates. They are going down and they are reasonably low. Now, let's talk about June. And the last couple of months of the year, we're going to go through quite quickly because I know that we've been on for 40 minutes already. And I want to talk about the Ryan's data release for June. Now, generally speaking, we see a slowdown in prices. Prices tend to drop in terms of sale prices in winter. That's not the value of your house. It's just the properties that tend to sell. So we would expect to see some data uh, so I saw the comment from Andrew, sorry, <laughs> that distracted me. Um, so I am expecting to see some data showing a softening in sale prices. That is not a drop, remember, in the value of your home. But you may see an, a headline like this, median house price down 50K in just three months. Has the bubble burst? Uh, no, no. No, there isn't a bubble, as we've talked about previously. There are um, reasons why house prices are, are high. Um but you may see an article like this. Now, Andrew, talk to us about our prediction for July. So July is an interesting one because uh, you've got uh, kind of the implementation of those Healthy Homes Acts that have been looming for a long time now. So anyone that owns a rental property, new or old, will have gone through this assessment and found that there's something that they need to do, whether it's correcting a draft, whether or not it's um, uh, supplementing a heat pump or, or um, putting in some more insulation. But it all, it all uh, equates to this fact. If you haven't complied by the 1st of July 2021 and your tenant dobs you in, they get and you pay a $4,000 fine. Potentially. Potentially. Up to. Potentially. Yeah, to, to be fair, they, they are yet to announce that, but that is kind of what's been thrown around. Now, I know that there are going to be a lot of tenants out there just waiting because $4,000 is a lot of money. It's a lot of ticket for a lot of these people. And if you don't comply, then there's going to be a whole lot of people out there to get you and to try and collect off you because it's a windfall. And and so we're going to see lots of articles about this. And I actually think you're going to see a lot of people who have been in the market and aren't getting the right advice, managing the property themselves, getting a fine. They're going to start dumping these old properties um, because 
they 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 don't know how to remedy and it's all just too hard and then of course that that means that other people when they read these articles that have thought about investing in property think well that sounds a bit hard and they might not get into the market so um, there's going to be a bit of pressure here and just on top of this so if you are renting out peri- as a periodic uh, as a periodic tenancy currently you already have to comply. So any new periodic tenancies, you have to have a healthy home statement already. Now, this comes in for fixed term tenancies from the 1st of July. And what I want to do, and we did this on the podcast, but I just want to put the numbers in front of you so you can see them. Um, so as part of OPAS, we've got a sister company. It's called Venture Management. They're a property management company across Auckland, uh, Waikato, and in Canterbury as well. And what we did is we ran their properties through a whole heap of healthy homes inspections. And bear in mind, these are 75% properties built in the last five years. Here's what they failed on. So 117 of about uh, 240 houses, so 49.2% failed on a draft. So that could be a draft between a uh, that could be a draft between an internal garage and the hallway. I had somebody text me saying that they failed because there was a draft in the kitchen, in the cat door, in a cat door. There was a draft which needed to be fixed. That could potentially lead to a fine. Insulation: 112 houses of those 240 odd, so 47.1 percent uh, failed on insulation. And again, that could be because somebody stood on it up in the ceiling. So you might not know that the insulation's not there, but somebody stood on it, and so it's not as high or thick as it needs to be. It could be because somebody was replacing a light, and that insulation isn't all uh, up or as close to that light as it actually needs to be because it has hasn't been put back properly. There are a lot of reasons why these could potentially, there are a lot of reasons why this, your property could potentially fail, even if it is new. And heating, 37% failed on that. Ventilation, drainage, only 14.7% of them were fully compliant. And remember, the vast majority of these have been built over the last five years, about 75%. So if relatively new properties that have got their code of compliance uh, not passing healthy homes, you've got to make sure, please make sure that your properties have got that healthy homes inspection and you're signed off. I don't want you guys to be getting any fines that you don't need to be getting. And on top of that, I think, as Andrew mentioned as well, we are likely to see some articles where DIY landlords start to turn to professional property managers as those healthy home standards start to bite. And I think that's probably going to be a good thing. Amy, I just want to mention as well, because I've just seen your comments as well. It's actually really cheap to get a healthy homes um, assessment. It, I think uh, the last one that I saw was $130 to $180, up to $250 in some cases. They are so worth it to make sure that your property is actually compliant. Uh, so what's the what's the lesson there? Check your healthy homes details with your property manager. Literally do this tomorrow. Um, we, we've banged on about healthy homes for, for a long time, but this is where the rubber really does meet the road for us. Now, Andrew, talk to us about what we're predicting for August. Sorry, sorry, replying to a message. Um, residential construction is now going to be an overdrive. So, so uh, construction is one of the only industries that is booming at the moment, and uh, this is going to go full steam ahead. And we we actually think that it's going to get even uh, more buoyant because of support from the Reserve Bank. Uh, and we've said likelihood forty five percent. I'd be prepared to go higher on that. I think that um, because the construction industry employs so many people, and it's such a big part of New Zealand 
because we've got this first home buyer's dream, this home ownership dream, we are going to come up with ways to make sure people can have a home, uh, be, be it their rent or or to, to get into our own home themselves. So there is going to be more and more construction and um, there's going to be a whole lot of things that happen to support this, um, such as the Reserve Bank support, but also just even things like, you know, easing of, of um, uh, uh, Resource Management Act. Now, the other thing that I want to talk about as well, just with this, is just last month, about mid-November, Tony Alexander in one of his premium reports said, if you know what direction to turn a screwdriver to tighten a screw, there will be a job for you within six months in the residential construction sector. And this is because it will be the one that's booming. And if we get those lower deposit loans, if we get some of that underwriting of a low equity margin or the Reserve Bank encouraging banks to lend on new properties, that's where we will see this go into overdrive and it's really going to help our recovery. You may start to see articles like this. An oversupply of houses in South Auckland on its way, or I just picked South Auckland, by the way, for, for any sort of region. We may see this across the country. Um, oversupply of potential houses, the development, uh, this development's concerning these local homeowners. We may see headlines like this. Now, it will be funny once we do start to see that because we've just been told for the last 20 years about the housing deficit we have, um, and, and uh, sometimes journalists have short memories because of that and editors. Hey, let's talk about September now. What if the government tells local councils to shovel it? So we've seen the uh, local government minister, Nanai Mahuta, talking to Tauranga City Council, putting a commissioner in, there, commissioner in there for other reasons, of course. But what if the, the central government gets more involved with local government and ensures that they have to free up more land for the Resource Management Act, uh, which is going to, to, to mean that more land would potentially be supplied? What do you think about this, Andrew? Oh, sorry, I'm just replying to messages at the same time. Sorry, can you just carry on with that while I just reply to this? <laughs> <laughs> he thinks that it will actually probably be a good idea and that there will be many opportunities. Whoops. I had a, oh, that was a bit ominous. No, no, no. Sorry, I had a button on our on our uh, mixing machine. Um, uh, there will probably be really great opportunities as more land comes uh, comes up, especially for, for, for newer developments uh, or for people who are now better able to use the land that's underneath the properties they already have, which we've seen in Auckland through the unitary plan. Aug uh, October, we've got some big predictions for October because we currently have, the latest data we have is for the month of October. And we're expecting to see house prices hit record highs in the four major cities. And Heidi, thank you so much for coming. Uh, have a great great rest of your night at work. Um, the housing market, we're expecting to rocket ahead in all four major cities. So Auckland City currently 1.2 million. That's for the central city. I'm forecasting that's going to hit 1.35 million. Christchurch City currently at 526. I think we're going to hit 600. Wellington City, we're going to hit a million dollars. And Hamilton City, we're going to rocket ahead to 750k. These are big numbers, no doubt. But all of them, all of them, uh, in terms of percentage increases, are actually smaller than what the what Westpac was predicting. And of course, Auckland and Christchurch, these are the two ones we are most confident about because these are the cities, these are the regions that are at the most opportune parts in their property cycles. And so we're pretty confident about Auckland and Christchurch continuing to rocket ahead. Hamilton and Wellington, they've seen big growth over the last five years. Is there enough steam left in that market? I'm not sure, but certainly for Auckland and 
Christchurch. We've been very confident about those and are seeing signs of life. Now, here's my big prediction before I give it over to your big uh, prediction to announce, Andrew. So Queenstown, it's currently down 1.4% on the previous year, on 12 months ago, not as bad as it otherwise could be. I predict that in 12 months, it will have recovered completely and be 5% above pre-COVID levels. Andrew, what are you predicting yourself? You've got some big predictions. Just bear in mind, we're going to delete these afterwards if they don't come true. Um, My prediction is that Auckland rents are going to be up 10% on the previous year. As landlords respond to healthy homes, uh, regulation, increased regulation as a general sense of the word, uh, more people exiting the market. It's really interesting to me that whilst uh, we're in an environment where our largest cost, you know, 75% of our cost as an investor is our interest most of the time if we're borrowing money to invest. And that cost is halved in the last, you know, 18 months. And yet there is upward pressure on rents in, in, in a lot of the country at the moment. Maybe not right now before Christmas, but generally speaking, we've started to see upward pressure on rents. And so it, it, it's so interesting to me how uh, people not getting into the market and people exiting the market and that shortage that it creates puts such a massive uh, has much more of an impact than just it's cheaper now as a landlord to own a property we tend not as a landlord and myself included as my rates roll over one of my rates rolled off uh, fixed rate uh, just today and it was 6.15% 6.15% and it rolled off to 2.39% a third do you think my rent is going to be a third? We put the rent up by $50 a week. And it's just amazing uh, that is going to flow on. And actually 10% is a conservative guess because this is what uh, we, we think will be at least. So how to be successful in 2021? Look for deals, particularly in Auckland and Christchurch. These are the ones that are opportune and at opportune points in the property cycles. And we can talk more about that if you'd like to, um, though we also have a full webinar on that. We've got two months left. First of all, let's talk about November. We're expecting to see tourism get really excited as uh, managed opening starts to get close and Australians start flocking to New Zealand for a good summer. It's going to be a good time for all. So, of course, COVID is still with us. Sometimes it's actually um, strange because you almost forget about it because New Zealand's in such a great position. Um, But we will expect to see a bit of an opening and anybody who's in a tourist town, I'm expecting to start seeing better times. This is one of the things that I'm expecting to aid that Queenstown market. And then finally, let's talk, Andrew, about our prediction for December which is that we're going to be back again here, (laughs) sitting here happily, hopefully with a slightly better internet connection uh, uh, with more predictions for 2022. And look, Heidi um, has had to go off off to work again, um, but she left us a really great review uh, just yesterday that we read on one of our podcasts, most enthusiastic property investment content you'll ever hear. And we really appreciate that support. But I think you had a prediction that we were going to be back here next year, Andrew, in a Santa suit and an elf suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we should have run a poll on this as who should be Santa, who should be the elf. I I think it's an obvious choice, right? I'd be in the Santa suit, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what I want to do is just run through, again, those ways to be successful in 2021, because that's what you're here for. And again, you've probably heard some of these if you've been listening to us all here. These are the things we've said. It's time to put them into practice. So use multiple banks, split bank. Make sure you're listening to specialist media, whether it's us or whether it's somebody else. Make sure you're listening to it and don't base your financial decisions on 
uh, on standard mainstream content. Uh, don't fix your rate for too long. Rates are coming down. You want to make sure that you are actually getting uh, and taking advantage of those lower interest rates that are coming. Get your healthy homes sorted, number four. And of course, look in Christchurch in Auckland. These are the ones we feel very confident about. Hamilton as well. And number six is an extra one, which I've added in, which is We've got to do it. I always say the only way to get the benefits of property investment is to actually invest in property. And that's an important thing to make sure that we're all doing. Last thing before I just wrap up, because I've got some some summer reading for you all. These are our 12 predictions for the year. And of course, only $9.90 <laughs> while stocks last. Uh, <laughs> now, just before we wrap up and get into questions and answers as well, what I want to do it's just give you a bit of a summer reading list for anybody who uh, who hasn't met us before, and also for anybody who has forgotten about some of the stuff we did and every uh, or do. And every time I pull together a list of our best content, I always remember that actually there has been a lot. Even when I think, gosh, I wish we could have created every uh, even more. So if you've never met us before, we do have the Property Academy podcast, episode number four hundred fifty three, went live today. We do one every single day. It continues throughout the break. Uh, you will have one on Christmas Day. You will have one on New Year's Day as well. They are going out and we're going to be spending some time over the Christmas break uh, recording some more as well to make sure that they're current. And actually, if you've never listened to one of those, that works out to be 11 days of listening, listening eight hours a day over your holiday. So you should be pretty busy. <laughs> on top of that, oh, and actually, this is a text that I got today from a, a, a longtime fan or a longtime listener. And, and he said, after seeing my Spotify wrapped come through this week, telling me I've spent three days of my life listening to you guys this year, I thought I'd reach out, say thank you very much, and um, thank you for making it all free. And I, I just thought this is quite this is quite amazing that somebody would spend three full days uh, listening to it, and we're so appreciative and grateful for everybody who's in the community uh, who chooses to listen to us and for engaging. We really appreciate you guys being uh, or allowing us to be on your journey with you. Um, the other thing you can do, if you like to watch, we have 12 webinar trainings. This makes number 13 all available on the website. These are all completely different. They're, they're, they're not the same, you know, and I, that's a big thing because most, uh, if I can just say this, um, a, a lot of companies will do the same webinar over and over again. Every single one of our webinars is different and they're all well researched and I get very stressed on a Tuesday to make sure that they're ready to go. Um, but all 12 of them are there on the website. Um, we're also putting out a lot of stuff on Instagram and they're very educational posts. So if you if you are on Instagram, we are at opas underscore partners and you can always send us a message there as well. We love doing some of that stuff. Um, number four, we do have the Epic Guide to Property Investment. This is the 16,000 word guide that we've written, freely available on our website. You can go now and read it. It is all there. And coming soon, this is going to happen before Christmas. This is our Christmas present to you, our Property Academy video course. So we've had this up for probably four, uh, probably about a year now, year and a half. But it was very thrown together, our video course, if I can say that. We have just finished recording 19 professionally produced videos of Andrew talking about all of the most important things in property. So those 
basics that you uh, that you want to be across. Um, these are all recorded with slides. Uh, all up, it's probably going to be about two hours long. That is going to go live before Christmas, and I'll make sure that you guys all get that as well. So you may want to check that out or be recommending it to friends. But the last, oh yes, go Andrew. Uh, look, I just want to say this has been a really challenging year for a lot of people. We have worked with um, lots of investors who who have had changes in circumstances because they're based in Queenstown and and they've lost their jobs. Or like I know that it's been really Really, really hard for a lot of people out there, and and with uh, unemployment and just just concerns around work, it's really stressful for a lot of people. And we really appreciate. We started this uh, the, the, these webinars in lockdown. Um, we carried on our podcast during lockdown. And at a time where we didn't know where our business was going to go, we didn't know whether or not uh, we were going to come back to a world where no one was interested in property. Um, but we were just really focused on putting out as much information as possible so that people could make a clear decision afterwards. And and um, as a lot of people have pointed out, they can't believe it's free. We, we, we don't mind putting it out for free because we want New Zealand to be better with financial decisions. And whether or not someone uses us or uses someone else or, or, or does it themselves with our information, we don't care. So long as we can make a difference in people's lives. Yes, yes. And I think um, there's going to be more. That's all I want to say. Uh, we've got some very, very cool things planned for next year. There's going to be it's very hard for me to not, not talk about them. Yes, yes, because you've been banned. Um, but what I do want to say, just before we get into Q&A, is if you've, if you've done your learning and you're ready to actually do something, and I don't want to preach to the converted too much here, um, but for people who have never met us before, who don't know us, I just want to talk briefly about if you're ready to actually start investing, I want to mention that Opus Partners are property partners, you know, and what that means is we help you create a wealth plan, that plan for where you want to be in the future and how we can help you get there through property investing. We help crunch the data on different areas to invest in. And we've got so much data on the website. You can access for free as well. Uh, we find you properties. And this is a big thing, making sure that you're investing in the right property at the right price and then managing that process for you as well. So it is a fully managed process. And so if you'd like to start investing, uh, if you're thinking that now may be the right time for you, then what I'd like to do is just allow you the opportunity to uh, raise your hand and, and say that actually, yes, I actually am keen to sit down and have a chat. And I'll just put that, that link across uh, your screen. We are able to do that. Uh, let me just type that in now. Um, and I'll say, want to come in and see us. And I'll just put Barry, that. just while, while, while he's doing that, Barry, that's a really hard question to answer on here. So I'm um, happy to uh, look at your numbers personally. If you email me at Andrew at OPEZ Partners, uh, uh, Andrew, obviously, A-N-D-R-O-W at OPEZ, O-P-E-S Partners.co.nz. Give me a rundown of your numbers um, and or just give me a phone number and I'll give you a bell uh, and have a chat maybe even over the break just because the next couple of weeks are pretty hectic. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you what I would do. Uh, and, and again, um, even if you're not wanting to invest now, I'll tell you what you should do with your own personal situation and then you can invest later on. So again, if if uh, if you are interested in coming and see us, I'm going to put that across your uh, screen now. You can pop your details in there. It'll take you two secs and we'll be in contact this side of the year to book you in for the new year as well. Or you can always go to opuspartners.co.nz slash, I think I've even got it there, slash talk. And remember our service is complimentary as well. And we can talk about that uh, if you're interested as well. Uh, 
fantastic. Let's jump into the Q&A. So what, Shall we do six questions today? Let's do that. I'm going to choose the first one. I'm going to take my jumper off because uh, it's Jer- so Jeremy, warm. congratulations and welcome to the team. I was just uh, typing to you, but now I've got to jump into the next tab. Uh, welcome aboard. Oh, fantastic. Now, what I want to ask you, Andrew, here's the question that I want you to get uh, to answer. We had a question that come, came through beforehand on the chat, and they were asking about increasing prices of insurance and the impact of uh, on property investors. And if I can ask a secondary question yes. from that, uh, Samara and Tony, yes, I think it yes, is, have yes, been asking yes. about using multiple insurance companies. I wonder whether you could talk about that for a minute. Yeah, so it's a really interesting one. There was an article in the newspaper a weekend ago or a couple of weekends ago, and they were talking about the increase in cost of insurance, um, particularly in some of those um, at-risk areas. And um, Christchurch actually was pretty high there um, for for um, uh, rising water levels. And um, oh, it's funny because from, from an earthquake perspective, after Christchurch had its big earthquakes, um, the cost of insurance uh, hasn't actually skyrocketed as much as it has in Wellington. Now, I don't know if um, the insurance companies have got a crystal ball or if it's feeding them information, but it, it, um, insurance companies have now moved to a risk-based pricing. So they take a lot of information from places like CoreLogic, I think that's the main supplier of their data, and they look at how likely or unlikely uh, an area is to suffer damage from something like a uh, tsunami or, or, or just rising rising uh, uh, water levels. Um, you've got to be really careful, and I think this is where if you're buying something that's, um, say, say it's just a, a townhouse or something like that and there's a body corporate, you're pretty much okay. If you're buying an apartment where there's 500 apartments and it's um, something that only a couple of insurers or maybe even one insurer is going to insure in New Zealand, and this is where Wellington sometimes falls down, um, if those premiums go up and your body corporate goes up as a result, it can be pretty uh, costly as a landlord. Um, often, most of these costs get passed on to the tenant. That's the unlucky part of this. I think with the, uh, this report that's come out from NIWA, you will see local council start to absorb uh, or, or underwrite some of this insurance. And that happens overseas all the time. So there are countries overseas where you cannot get insurance from a normal insurance company. And so you see the governments uh, self-insure. Um, you will probably see that in New Zealand, but they are talking pretty significant amounts. Um, so I think if you're investing, you just need to be maybe, um, you know, buying something that you've got control or as much control as possible in that. Having said that, Andrew Nichol has made a lot of money buying risky properties and it's not for everyone but uh, if you're prepared to take some significant risks or you're in a position because you're really young and you can afford to weather that storm maybe there's some opportunity there as well. Fantastic. Andrew, while you find a question that you'd like to answer, I'm going to answer. Oh, yeah, Tony. Well, no, so I've chosen one. For, oh, no, sorry, you answer. Well, I want to, I want to answer Ryan's question, which was townhouse. If he's looking to do a uh, off the plans, that he's saying, should I purchase an off the plans townhouse or standalone build? So, what I mean by that is like a house of land package, standard house. Now, the interesting thing, because I've actually crunched the numbers on that for, I'm not sure if I've got any magazines around, but for Juno Investing Magazine uh, this month or for this quarter, I actually looked at the data and got it from CoreLogic. And do you know what? Surprisingly, there's not a lot of difference between townhouses versus standalone houses in terms of long-term capital growth over the last 20 years. So what I did was I broke it out by bedrooms, I broke it out by different cities, 
And sometimes standalone houses beat townhouses. Sometimes townhouses beat house and land packages. So what I would say is it's probably going to, that was really loud. By Sorry the way. about that. Um, uh, sometimes a townhouse might be better. Sometimes a standalone property might be better. I would base it first of all on location. But what's important to know is that there, there wasn't a clear trend where standalone houses beat townhouses, which is what a lot of people would generally expect. Uh, but there was a trend, of course, between apartments versus townhouses and standalone houses. Those got far less growth. So it's interesting when looking at those numbers, but I'd first base that on location and yield and purchase price would be the main things because you're not going to be able to buy a standalone house in Auckland for less than a million dollars. Uh, Alistair, I'm going to answer your question. Uh, government wants more accessibility to the market with homeowners, uh, especially first-home buyers. Do you think that's counterintuitive? Uh, more owners will surely lead to higher prices. Um, the government does what's popular to get the votes, and um, that's just not my hypothesis. This is supported by our old deputy Prime Minister Winston Peters. So um, before capital gains, our Brightline test got extended and while we were arguing uh, uh, ring fencing and while we were arguing um, extending the Brightline from two years to five years, I went to a charity auction. It's story time now. Uh, I went to a charity auction and item number two on the uh, on the charity auction was um, lunch with Winston Peters. And I thought, oh, I'm going to give this guy a uh, piece of my mind. So nothing would have stopped me winning that auction. I won um, and I went to uh, meet Winston Peters at the parliament and had uh, lunch with him. And I have to say, I didn't really like him that much before lunch. And actually, he is a remarkable guy. Uh, uh, he, he is um, incredibly intelligent. But my two questions to him were around uh, ring fencing. So that if anyone that doesn't know what that is, that's where you can't offset the losses against your personal income as an investor if you're making a loss on a rental property and therefore can't claim some tax bank. So therefore, you're making all of the top up rather than some of the top up. So therefore, it's more costly to be a property investor with the implementation of that that tax change. And then with Brightline test or capital gains tax, again, you know, if you're a property investor and you have been for a number of years and now you trigger capital gains tax, you're going to want more money and this pushes prices up. Now, we know this because Australia have been through these. And actually, if you haven't listened to the podcast that we did last week, where Ed does the worst uh, Australian accent I've ever heard in my life, go back and listen to that. And we talk about those tax changes and how that impacted the Australian market. I said to him outright, hey, all of these things that you're doing to help first-time buyers and control uh, prices, you know they have the opposite effect. And he said, yeah. But people don't know that, and this is how we get votes. And I did he say that? Absolutely, and I appreciate his honesty there because people don't understand it. And if you go, if you're going to make changes in government, you have to be in for a couple of terms, and that's what they did. That's what happened. And um, look, it, it, the dirty, dark, uh, secretive politics is every government wants house prices to go up because if house prices go up we spend more money and we feel happier it's it's proven so um yes it is counterintuitive but that is actually what we want Right, I'm going to answer Calvin's question, which I think is the one that you were going to ask me. Yeah. Which he says, uh, and I think this is my last one, perhaps. Tony Alexander suggests that interest rates may not, may bounce back. Sorry. Tony Alexander suggests that interest rates may increase. What makes your opinion different to him? And I think this is a great question because what I would say 
is I probably don't disagree with Tony Alexander. Oh, you what wouldn't, Eva, would you? No, no, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. Um, it, well, actually, no, I do sometimes when reading his reports. But what would the main difference here is probably time frame. So often when I'm reading Tony's reports, at the very end of it, he talks about where he thinks interest rates are going over the long term. Now, what you've got to remember about Tony as well is that uh, he prefers to fix over the long term. So he he will always say, I prefer a, uh, I will prefer a, a five-year period, a five-year interest rate fix, because he likes the certainty over the long term. But when you read that, what he thinks is going to happen over the one uh, one year term, generally speaking, he's expecting it to go down a little bit more, perhaps not as much as some other commenters are suggesting. But look, over the medium term, over uh, three to five years, perhaps interest rates would go up. So what I'd generally be talking about or, or be recommending is fix short now, potentially lock in for longer in one to two years once those right. interest rates are down. Because once the economy recovers, we probably will see an OCR increase. We'll start to see interest rates go up. But certainly the opportunity now in 2021, early 2022, is for those interest rates to come down. So it's probably not a difference of opinion, but just we're talking about kind of separate time periods at that point. Andrew, uh have you are you answering Girish's question? Oh, so I'm just answering a few questions. So a few people have got some really personal questions in here. So it's quite hard. Um, Maria asked about um, high yielding properties in Wellington uh, that are freehold for six twenty five. Um, very unlikely. You you just don't uh, high yielding and freehold kind of don't go together. If you're buying high yielding, it's normally uh, uh, something like a body corporate arrangement. So it, it's kind of at cross purposes. Uh, someone asked uh, else also wanted to know about split banking money uh, for properties with one bank would like to know how to split bang these kind of things i am happy to uh, uh liaise with you and, and figure out who best in our team for you to work our team for you to work with um if you want to flick me an email uh andrew uh at ops partners or actually andrew.nickel uh n-i-c-o-l at ops partners and then and then the whole team will make sure that we actually allocate someone to help you out with that because it's quite hard to answer these things here without asking more questions uh let's choose another i want to uh let me jump in then to ask you this one so peter thank you for just uh, reminding me to that to scroll down to Aaron, because Aaron, you've had 22 upvotes on this question. So Aaron said, prices are ultimately based on economics 101, supply versus demand. So does all the many thousands of new bills in Rolleston, which is in Selwyn District in Canterbury, just uh, probably about 15 minutes from Christchurch, does that mean there will be slow growth there for several years, especially, as I believe, the largest ever subdivision in New Zealand has just been green-lighted this week, from what I hear. Andrew, you, you, you've done quite a great, bit great uh, question. and Rolleston. Talk to us about this. Great question. Um, so Rolleston is an area that I have for um, it's probably six of the eight years of, of uh, since I started this company said, this is a place to invest in. Um, they need to name me the mayor and erect a statue of me there. Uh, there is still some really good growth to have out there because there's so much going on out there. There's huge population growth, third highest population growth spot in New Zealand. And um, that's after Auckland and then Christchurch Central. Um, you've you've got um, massive job opportunities out there. There's um, like eight or nine education centres out there. Um, they've just uh, opened the new motorway. So Ed mentioned that it was 15 minutes from town. It was 13 minutes three months ago. So uh, you've halved that time. Um, I believe you will see 
normal properties that we would recommend that would be um, seriously like $520,000 just after COVID that are now five fifty now, they will begin with a six next year. Uh, I, I am certain of it um, because there is still massive, massive uh, migration there. Historically, prices in, in Rolleston had been very, very flat. We are starting to see some of that momentum. And a big thing that's really important, I don't know about that specific uh, development that's ju- that's been mentioned, Andrew, perhaps you might know something about that. But what I do know is that land prices are based on supply and demand. And, uh, and something really important to note about Rolleston is that most of the land is owned by two corporations. And so the supply of land is very limited because they are acting as monopolists. They are holding back land and not releasing it to market simply because they want to drive those prices up and they know that prices will increase. And so these two players are holding back supply of land from the market in order to be able to drive prices up. And there are a number of developers. I know, Andrew, you've got better relationships with them than than I do. But they are saying, we cannot get the land. Yes, We're not able to do it simply because, not because land's not necessarily there, even though it's not always necessarily zoned to be able to be used for residential purposes. But the people who own it are holding it back. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting because... Um, uh, where previously, you know, I would always have available stock that I could show to a client as a great uh, recommendation as an add to the investment portfolio for someone looking for growth. Um, we've got nothing available. Uh, and, and we are the largest property investment coach in New Zealand, and we cannot get our hands on on stock. Um, I, I had uh, lunch with one of the major uh, building companies uh, today, and um, they've promised me another six tomorrow. I just can't, they just can't keep up. Um, and maybe you, um, part of that is that there's lots of stuff coming available, but it's not necessarily in that affordable bracket. Um, you know, we're pretty fussy with what the investment criteria needs to be uh, before before we would recommend a, a, a solution for someone. And so, um, you know, we probably discount a big part of it, and we want to know that someone's going to be, you know, a reputable builder. It's going to, you know, stand the test of time. So whilst there might be lots of sections coming available over a longer period of time and, you know, two years from now, um, you could probably add another $100,000 onto it. And, and so it does take a long time to actually get that that land uh, zoned. And let's do one more question, Andrew. Do you have one or can I recommend one no, from the you can recommend one. Well, the good thing is, well, Peter has just taught me something new about this webinar platform that we've used about 15 times. You can actually sort it by upvotes I've just found. So the second highest upvote that I've got uh, – I'm going to answer Garish's question, or actually, Andrew, you're going to answer it. So the question is this. How do you know whether your new build is going to be healthy homes compliant oh, before it's built? Before, yeah. Surely fixing it afterwards would be more expensive. Do we need to put it in the S&P, the sale and purchase agreement? Uh, so so because we deal in new builds, that is a standard practice for us to put in the sale and purchase agreement that something has to be healthy homes, uh, uh, up to healthy home standard. And um, that's an agreement that we also have with our developers. So even if something slipped through the crack, it has to meet healthy home standards at settlement and if it doesn't it needs to be remedied um, if you're negotiating with a developer or a vendor yourself um, I would highly recommend having that in there um, otherwise you can take like like getting a valuation you can you can get all these checks done off plans um, but it is much easier once it's there so if you have it in the contract you protect it 
Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there. Um, but what I do want to say again is thank you so much for being on this journey with us. If you guys will remember the first webinars that we did back in April, uh, we did them. I did them in my bedroom. I think I you did, did them in your my, lounge. In my batch at Diamond Harbour, sitting yeah. there with a giant mirror behind me, so you could see my uh, uh, terrible uh, lack of haircut. Yes, there were so many things, and we just appreciate that people, you've stuck with us when the technology's gone wrong, um, you've you've listened to the podcast, you've read the articles, um, you've subscribed to Juno Magazine, uh, and we really appreciate all of that. Now, just before I sign off and wish you a very Merry Christmas, I do just want to give you that opportunity again, if you haven't come to see us before, uh, if you want to come in for that complimentary property planning session, I'm just going to pop that across your screen so that you're able to do that. Uh, uh, if you haven't seen us before. But again, just want to say thank you so much and a big thank you to my co-host, Andrew, who has uh, stuck with me even when I get very finicky about these slides <laughs> and uh, making sure that they're correct and making sure that what he's talking about is correct as well. Yeah, and 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 um, similarly, I do want to thank Ed, who uh, who has who uh, um, been a great inspiration to us actually getting this done. I um I am a perfectionist as is he, but um he will always remind me this is our this is our first version, not our forever version, and force me to turn up on time on Mondays to record our podcast recording. Force me to sit and uh, read our notes and do all those things. And and because we do them, it is a lot of fun. And um, but it is a lot of work. So uh, Ed has uh, been exceptional at doing Ed section. Exceptional yeah, yeah, at doing that. Radio, radio. Have a great Christmas, team, and, and a fantastic New Year. We're going to see you back back again here, probably in February for another webinar. See you guys soon.